chapter number 21 tonight, we're going through a, a thorough study of the life of Elijah, and uh, we've been touching upon that, uh, I think now for the last two months now, uh, maybe this is month number three, I don't know how long, I have no idea how long we've been preaching on this, uh, I have here sermon number 11, so um, I guess it's been almost three months, we've gone through the life of Elijah, and we're nearing down to the very end of uh, his story, uh, but we're doing our best to be thorough uh, in this study uh, with the life of Elijah. And in 1 Kings 19, we wrap that chapter up. Now we're here in 1 Kings chapter number 21. Before we read it in scripture, let's pray and ask God for help tonight. And uh, then we'll just jump right into the Bible tonight. We have a lot of Bible to cover tonight. I think I'm going through a full chapter this evening. And uh, so pray for that. Amen. And so let's, let's pray this evening. Lord, I want to thank you once again for all that you do, but I need your help tonight. Pray that they are with the power, or use this message for to edify our church, and bless us, Lord, and give us the encouragement that we need. But I thank you once again for your word and the holiness therein. And we pray that you bless us tonight, Lord, come with your power, and use me, God. And I'm just a vessel that wants to be used to you, used of you, Lord, and I pray that you'll use me tonight. And Lord, we give the praise and the glory and honor once again. And we pray, amen. Now, one thing I love about the Bible is that, first of all, the Bible has been written so specifically to be studied, amen. Uh, we can't just go through the, the Bible and not study it, amen. We want to understand it, you got to study it. We want to gain more food from it and more thought from it, you got to study it. And uh, it's not like a regular book where you can just read it one time, read it again, and just say, okay, it's, it's a nice little book. No, the Bible's a book that's written, intended to study. And I, I love the fact about that. And the more you study and the more you look through the scriptures and look through God's word, the more you really get at it, amen? And who would have thought? What a deep thought that is, amen? Uh, study the Bible and you'll learn more, huh? Who would have thought? And, uh, but uh, here in uh, 1 Kings 21, uh, we see here, it, this is a very uh, a dark chapter, serious chapter, what's going on here. This really reveals uh, the wickedness that is of Ahab and Jezebel. And we brought them up a little bit in the story here. Uh, we cannot tell the full story of Elijah without talking about the wickedness and the opposition which he has faced his entire ministry. There's always been opposition and, and in our Christian life as we walk with the Lord. There'll always be opposition. There's always going to be someone trying to tear you down. Always somebody trying to prevent you from living victoriously in Christ. There'll always be opposition in every step of your Christian walk. And no different with Elijah. And Elijah's opposition uh, just so happens to be the authority of those days. Uh, the most wicked king to ever have lived in Ahab. And maybe one of the most wicked women to ever have lived in Ahab's wife, Jezebel. And so we've gone through 1 Kings 17. That's where we are introduced to the man Elijah, the Tishbite. We notice that God has done wonderful things. Uh, in chapter number 17, in hiding Elijah, in teaching Elijah, in sending Elijah to the book of Cherith, and then to Zarephath, in both places, he's learning at that point to fully depend on God. And we notice those things in chapter number 17. In chapter number 18, we notice uh, uh, great things and great works being done uh, through Mr. Elijah, the great prophet Elijah. We notice the victories uh, uh, with the prophets of Baal. We notice the victories of God sending the rain after three years of drought. And then uh, chapter 19, we see a very human side of Elijah. We see Elijah going through a dark time. We see Elijah going on a wilderness journey. 
uh, if you will, away from the Lord. We see Elijah being filled full of self-pity. We see Elijah being discouraged. Maybe even uh, the word depressed would be accurate to describe uh, Elijah in chapter number 19. But we don't see God, and this is the best thing about being a Christian as well, we don't see God just giving up on him. Elijah may have given up on himself at this point. And he even, he even was suicidal. He even said, just, just kill me now. I'm done now. You know, and, and, and so Elijah may have been done, but God wasn't done with him. Amen. Amen. And so Elijah may have been done. He may have been discouraged. He may have been ready to hang up the, the, the Bible for good and just walk out. Uh, but God did not give up on him. Now, from chapter 19 to chapter number 21, uh, many historians and commentaries believe that this is about a five or six year gap. Uh, from chapter 19 to chapter 21. At the end of chapter 19, we notice how God used the church to minister to Elijah, the people of God, the like-minded people. It's a wonderful picture that God used. God, we, we see with Elijah, the story of Elijah, God has uh, set fire down from heaven. God has fed him with ravens. God allowed Elijah to raise a young man back from the dead. God has done so many things with Elijah, so when it comes to back to, to mending his prophet and to bringing him back uh, to full restoration, uh, uh, he uses the church. And I think that's a, a wonderful picture of how powerful, really, the church is, the body of Christ is. And he uses the 7,000 who do not bow down to Baal, and he uses a specific man of the name Elisha. And I'm assuming in this five or six year gap from chapter 19 to chapter 21, because Elijah did not appear in chapter number 20, and so in this five or six year gap, I'm, I'm assuming, the Bible doesn't say much about it, but I'm assuming that Elijah is spending this time ministering to Elisha, while Elisha is ministering to him, Elijah's training Elisha, his young protege, and they're working together, they're working for the Lord together. And here in verse 20, chapter number 21, um, I don't have any notes for the first 16 verses, but uh, as I was reading this last night, I realized that we cannot just jump right into verse number 17, uh, that's where Elijah returns again. Uh, we really need to understand what's going on in this chapter. And so as I was reading this last night, God convicted my heart. I didn't make any notes about it, but we want to read it and just go on uh, with the first 16 verses of chapter number 21 uh, and how uh, it, it, it writes the scene out of what's going on here in, uh, when Elijah does return later on in this chapter. It says here in verse 1, And it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spoke, uh, spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house. And I will give it thee for a better vineyard than it, or if seem good to thee, I will give thee for the work of it in money. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me, that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came to his house heavy and displeased, because the, the word which Naboth, uh, the Jezreelite, had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed, and turned away his face, and would eat no bread. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him, and said unto him, why is thy spirit so sad, Jezebel talking to her husband Ahab, that thou eatest no bread? 
And he said unto her, Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else, if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. And Jezebel his wife said unto him, Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. What a nice wife. Amen. <laughs> what a nice wife. So don't worry. Be merry. I'll take care of the problem. I'll get you your vineyard, honey. Just eat your food. I'll take care of it. So we think that this might be the sweetest we ever see Miss Jezebel. This might be the sweetest moment of her life. And then we go to verse 8, and we see uh, just how wicked and vile this woman really is. Verse 8, so she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in the city, in his city, dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letters saying, proclaim a fast and set Naboth on high among the people and set two men, uh, sons of Belial, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst back a blaspheme God and the king, and then carry him out and stone him, that he may die. And the men of his city, even the elders and the nobles who were in the inhabitants in his city, did as Jezebel had sent unto them. And it was as it was written in the letters which um, she had sent unto them, they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth on high among the people. And there came in two men, children of Belial, and sat before him. And the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. Then they carried him forth out of the city and stoned him with stones that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth is stoned and is dead. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee money for. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. And it came to pass when Ahab, when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that he, that he rose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of of it. Now, just to sum all this up for you to make it into more layman's terms, uh, uh, Ahab wanted the vineyard, which is Naboth's inheritance from his fathers. It's a precious vineyard for Naboth. Ahab, it means nothing but location, but convenience. Okay, For, for Ahab, it's, it's close to my house, it's close to where I live, so can I just buy from you. Uh, I'll pay you the equal of uh, what it's worth. I'll give you another vineyard somewhere else. But the location is so nice. I, I, I like it. It's, it's a perfect shade. The sun casts it right away. It, it's an excellent place. Let me have your vineyard. I'll just turn to a garden uh, so I can make my herbs and all that good stuff. It's all about location. That's all it was. A little simple thing. And Abel said, this is a vineyard given to me by my fathers. I cannot sell it. This is very precious possession to Naboth. Okay? And so Ahab was a little discouraged. He was a little down. Poor Ahab, huh? He was a little down. And, and he was a little sad. And he was proud of him a little bit. So Jezebel decided to kill him. To kill him so they could have the possession of the vineyard. 
This is what we're talking about here when it comes to the opposition which Elijah is facing. Elijah is facing the most wicked couple, in my understanding, that's ever walked the face of this earth. A very wicked couple who hates God, who hates the things of God, who hates the prophets of God, the preachers of God, who've seen God work, oh, by the way. Ahab has seen at this moment, Ahab has seen the rain come. He has heard of the prophecy that there will be no rain for years. Those came true. He seen the fire come down from heaven and consume the sacrifice which Elijah was praying for. He has seen God move, and Ahab is still so hard-hearted against God, just with full of hatred towards God and the things of God. And even above that, this is something so small, so small as of a location of a garden. They were willing just to kill somebody for it. So the theme of this evening is when God says it's enough. When God says it's enough. Ahab has been ruling. Ahab has been reigning. Ahab has led the children of Israel in apostasy against God. Israel is a sinful nation at this point because of the leadership which was Ahab. And the time where God just says, okay, enough is enough. Here comes the prophet Elijah returning in chapter number 17. Let's read this. It says, And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, the king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he is gone down to possess it. Now, first of all, I want to kind of look back here, because uh, we've been studying Elijah, so I want to make sure that we understand uh, how wonderful God has been to Elijah. Elijah uh, has been, as you can say, chosen by God to be used greatly of God. God has taken some great time to, to uh, train him, to teach him, to allow him to depend on God. All these things have been happening. Uh, and so, and then Elijah in chapter 19, you notice the discouragement coming on him. You notice uh, the depression coming upon him, that he has given up. He's thrown in the towel, and he is done. And then we see God use the church to kind of encourage him, see Elisha minister unto him. And then five or six years later, here's Elijah again, still being used of God. We serve a God of a second chance, amen? amen. We mess up a lot. <laughs> yes. And I say a second chance very uh, conservatively because God gives us way more than two chances. We mess up constantly, it seems like. And Elijah messed up. Elijah truly just gave up and said, I'm done. Kill me. I'm, I'm over this. And now you see Elijah still being used of God. <coughs> so that we see God's grace, and it's just wonderful to see that. We see uh, God's comfort when it comes to Elijah that, hey, he has not let him alone. He is still there. Uh, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. God is still using him and uh, to deal with Ahab. And uh, so, praise the Lord, we serve a God of a second chance. And that is, uh, for sure, a wonderful blessing. Amen. So, I want to see, uh, real here, uh, the, the first point we're going to talk about is God's mission declared. God's mission declared when it comes to uh, Elijah's new uh, task here, which he is doing for God. We discussed God's grace uh, for Elijah. 
Now I want to look at the, the here, uh, I'm being lost for a second. We see here uh, God's grasp of the situation. God's word uh, to the prophet, let him know that the Lord is on top of the situation. God knows where Ahab is and what Ahab has been doing. Surely it brought comfort to the man of God to know that his God was in control. And that is a blessing to know when we are walking through this life. We might not understand the whole situation or the whole story or what is going on, but we can rest assured that God knows what is going on. God is in complete control, and that is a great blessing. The reason God sends Elijah with this message of death, in verse 18, let me read here, Arise, go down to Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria, behold, the vineyard of Naboth, whither he is gone down to possess it. Verse 19, And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed, and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Into the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And so we see here, uh, um, the real, um, hold on here. So the, 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 the message here, we see the content of the message. First of all, in verse 19, we notice the sin that Elijah is calling Ahab out on. Okay? Now, remember the story in the Old Testament, uh, it's also in the Old Testament, of David and Bathsheba, and he had Nathan, and he pointed his finger out, and he called uh, David out on his sin. Thou art the man. Essentially, this is exactly the thing that's going on here. That Elijah is now calling Ahab out on his sin, on what he has done wrong, and all these things going on here. And obviously, Ahab is a wicked man, and we understand all these things. But nobody, even if you are a wicked man, nobody wants their dirty laundry aired. Nobody wants to be accused, especially in front of your people or in front of uh, the crowd, and say, hey, you did wrong, or you sinned here and did all that stuff. Well, that is what is going on here. He's being called out for his wicked deeds. And just a reminder, God knows everything there is to know about us. We may think we can sin every day of the week but Sunday, and we probably still sin twice on Sunday, but we can think that we are not sinning, or we can sin in secret, do our secret sin, and God doesn't know about it. God, God doesn't know about it. Oh, but God knows. Amen. Proverbs 15 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Man, imagine if we had this mentality. First of all, imagine if we had the fear of God. We actually have the fear of God. I don't believe America has the fear of God. I don't believe American churches have the fear of God upon their, uh, their, their congregation or their churches anymore. I think we've lost it. But imagine this. Just pretend that we did fear God. I wonder how we would act knowing that God is watching everything we do. God is watching everything we do. When we are alone, God is with us. God is watching us. I wonder how we would behave. We always seem to clean up ourselves a little bit, you know, with uh, pastors coming over. Let's clean up a little bit. Let's look a little bit preppy. Let's look, you know, let's, let's throw the trash away. Let's cook a nice meal or something, that, you know. Let's make things a little bit nicer. We want to be a good host. We want to look good. Or decent. When we come to church on Sunday morning, we wear our Sunday vest, a suit and tie, we comb our hair, do things appropriately. But God is with us all the time. That's right. Amen. He sees everything we do. Amen. 
So when we go home on a Sunday afternoon, and you go and watch that television, I don't know what you're going to watch on Sunday afternoon in between church services, but you go home and watch TV on Sunday afternoon, God is watching TV with you. He knows what you're watching. He knows your heart. He knows your heart condition. Just, be, just remember that. We might think we're tricking God, but we're not. God knows our sin that's in our life. He is fully aware of your heart condition. So we see the sin. We notice they obviously killed Naboth for a little garden. Then we see the sentence. For Ahab's sin, there could be but one sentence, and that is death. This man is guilty of murder, theft, deception, idolatry, and every form of wickedness and evil. He is guilty in the sight of God, and he is sentenced to die. Ahab has been given plenty of rope. He has been given opportunity after opportunity to repent of his sins and turn to God. However, he has procrastinated and continued in his sins. Now God says, that is enough. Now also remember this, in chapter, I believe it's chapter 18, after all that happened with the the, the fire. Uh, notice what Ahab said to his wife. He reported back to his wife because his wife is the leader of the home. And so Ahab ran back to his wife and said to his wife, hey, Elijah did this. Remember that time? He didn't say he didn't give any credit to God whatsoever. Elijah did this. Elijah killed all the prophets. But really it was God who did that. Ahab was very hard-hearted to God. He didn't want to give any credit and acknowledgement. God has really given every opportunity to repent. Every opportunity to turn right back to God. He never was turned to God in the first place, so to turn in to God in the first place. He's given every opportunity. He has seen the prophets preaching. He has seen God move. And yet Ahab's heart is still in a very hardened condition. And time after time after time, He's been given an opportunity, and yet he is still the same. There's a time where God will say, that's enough. One preacher said this, The wheels of God's judgment may grind slow, but they grind exceedingly fine. <coughs> the day will come when God will look at your life and say, enough is enough. In our lives, we could live in sin. We can think that God is not aware of what we are doing, but God is truly aware. He understands it all. And we need to have that fear of God. Mm -hmm. I don't think we do fear God. It's very unfortunate that we don't. I want to read here verse 20 to 26. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me? Oh, my enemy. And first of all, Elijah is not Ahab's enemy by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, Ahab, uh, Elijah could possibly be Ahab's best friend. Yeah. Uh, Ahab is, is, is angry at the wrong person. In fact, Ahab's enemy could very well be his own wife. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But he, he's, he's angry and lashing <laughs> at the wrong person. My enemy, Elijah. Elijah's not his enemy. Elijah's the preacher. Give him an opportunity to repent. Jezebel is a true enemy in this context. Right. 
And he answered, in verse 20, I have found thee because thou hast sold thyself to the work, uh, to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, and will take away thy posterity, and will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel, and will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, uh, uh, Nebat, sorry, I messed up there, and like the house of uh, Basha, the son of Ahijah, from the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger, and make Israel to sin. Make Israel to sin, the nation turned into apostasy against God. And then Anab Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Verse 24, Him that died for Ahab in the city, the dogs shall eat. And him that died in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. Verse 25, But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work, uh, to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did very uh, 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 abominably in following idols, according to all things, as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. A lot of things in those six verses. But I want to kind of unpack something here. Um, really quick, the influence of Jezebel, by the way. The influence of Jezebel is a great influence, okay? Not in a good way, but it's a great influence, a very powerful influence, okay? Uh, Jezebel wants this and wants that, wants the wickedness, wants people dead, and it happens. Jezebel wants to influence her husband, and, and it's, yes, ma'am, let's, whatever it is, let's, let's go and do it. The last one, imagine this, and kind of just encourage this a little bit, that <laughs> The church really needs godly women. Amen. Amen. We really need it. We, we put Amen. such a great emphasis on preaching uh, towards men and the men of God and the work for the men of God. And we, we often put that great emphasis on that. But we really need godly women. Amen. We don't have enough of that. Amen. Godly women. Wives who will submit to their husband the way that the Bible has instructed them to. And if you're not a married woman, women who will be obedient to the word of God. Faithfully serving the Lord. Amen. High standards, high convictions. Willing to be as close to the Father as possible. Right. We need more of that. We have a feminism craze in America right now. It's insane. But feminism, they do not appreciate or love women. In fact, they absolutely despise and hate women. Because their entire goal in the entire feminist movement is to make women more like men. Well, Christians want women to stay like women. So we, in fact, appreciate women far more than the feminist movement does. We appreciate women. God appreciates women. I mean, I'm going to talk about Resurrection Sunday uh, last uh, this past Sunday, and we, we know who, who was the first to discover Jesus risen from the grave? Women. Jesus put a great emphasis on women. He was actually one of the first people to elevate women. There's something that was free there. But Jezebel was not one of those women. <laughs> she was wicked as they come. And she had great influence. 
And so, um, I'll look at quickly the confrontation. Elijah's response to Ahab is to comfort his sin. Elijah's response to Ahab is to confront his sin head on. The man of God pulls no punches, but he lets Ahab know that his sins have been exposed. This man, uh, this reminds me of the time Nathan King, uh, that's what I already said, so here. Uh, Elijah's statement exposed the fact that Ahab is at the center of the blame for all that he has taken place. Mm -hmm. Naboth is dead because Ahab was covetous. Naboth is dead because Ahab had no control over his wife. Naboth is dead because Ahab turned a blind eye to that which was right. Naboth is dead because Ahab had no regard for clear for the clear word of God. And Naboth, Naboth is dead because Ahab is soul under sin. We notice here in verse, uh, uh, there's a verse here, I can't find it right now. But Elijah claims and tells uh, Allah, Ahab, you are soul under sin. The word soul here is interesting. The word is a word that means as a habitual lifestyle given over to something, but it also can mean, I believe in this context, it is mean to marry. So he is, you marry sin, essentially. Not only has Ahab manifested wickedness in his life day by day, but he had also married wickedness when he took Jezebel to be his wife. Think about that. Paul complains. That he was sold under sin, by the way. Sold under sin in Romans 7, 14. As a poor captive against his own will. Ahab, on the other hand, was willing and he sold himself to sin as of a choice. As, as a, his own act and deed. He loved the dominion of sin. This is who we're talking about when it comes to the opposition Ahab is, uh, Elijah is facing. Ahab was sold under sin. He was living habitually in sin, and he married the very essence of that word, sin. And we see later on in these, in these verses which we, which we read, we see the, the condemnation. It was personal. There is no mistaking the fact that the hammer of God is about to fall on the life of Ahab and of his family. Even the wicked Jezebel will be judged by God. The sinners will not go unpunished. So it's personal, as we can see in verse 21, verse 23, and 26. It also is perpetual. It continues on. Okay? Uh, not only will Ahab and Jezebel face the wrath of God, but also his family. The kids, the next generation, they'll also be under the wrath and judgment of God. Because of what Ahab has done wrong, it's going to go down from generation to generation, the hammer, if you will, of God on that family. You know, our, our, our sins and our lifestyle will affect our children, right. the next generation coming up, right. definitely will affect them. I heard one preacher say, what we do in moderation, our kids will do in excess. There's many examples of people who were social drinkers, 
and their kids alcoholics. Uh, their, their parents did these things in moderation, enjoyed it once in a while socially. But the kids, well, it's okay. Dad and mom do it. That's fine. And they go above and beyond. So God's judgment to Ahab is a perpetual one. It's not going to stop there. It's going to stop at Ahab and stop at Jezebel. It's going to go through the kids and that generation as well. The condemnation of God will be there. And it was plain. There was no question concerning what Elijah told Ahab. He didn't leave there scratching his head, wondering what's going to happen. And he made it very clear in these five verses, 21 to 26, what is going to happen. The judgment of God will be upon them. <coughs> but what can we learn from these events real quick? First, we can look like God is very long-suffering. God is very long-suffering. How long had Ahab been like this? And Jezebel been like this? From chapter 19 to chapter 21, we assume it's been five or six years. From uh, chapter 17, when Elijah was introduced, to chapter 21, we're looking at about 15, 16 years of time. That's a lot of time of God being patient with the evil, wicked king of Ahab. A lot of time. How long have we been living in sin? How long have we been disobedient and wrath and all these things left and right? But how long? How long hasn't he waited before he unleashed that judgment on those people? Also, the examples of the Old Testament. Oh man, he is patient, long suffering, he gets opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And guess what? If you ever take those opportunities for, for you know, take advantage of one of the opportunities and do repent and do uh, say, oh, okay, I'm done with that. Hey, guess what? We see God's grace and mercy. <laughs> it's awesome how wonderful, merciful, Amen. patient our God really is. Amen. Does Ahab deserve this mercy? No. But do we deserve that mercy as well? No. <laughs> what we deserve right now at this very moment in life is to be burning in hell. That's what we deserve. But because of God's mercy and grace, we don't get that. We're in church tonight. Praise the Lord. We're in church. We're saved. Hey, we can be servants of God. We can live this life for something so big and so great. Working for the Lord. Amen. Doesn't get better than that. Amen. What a privilege, what a blessing that is. So first we see how long suffering God is. Second, uh, we see that there will come a day when the opportunities will run out and there is nothing left but judgment. Third, when judgment comes because of uh, because of sin, it is certain. It is swift and it is just. And God is a very just God. Now last we're going to wrap things up. Verse 27 to 29. And it came to pass when Ahab heard those words, he rent and uh, that he rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh and fasted and, and he lay in a sackcloth and went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah to the Tishbite saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. Wow. After all of this time, Ahab finally says, okay, okay, I will humble 
myself. I will, if we can use that word, repent. What an amazing thing, what an amazing picture. We see that because he humbled himself, God, once again, shows long suffering, his patience. He delays the wrath. Okay, it was easier to put in the hammer. Keep the hammer off for a little while longer. The hammer will still come down. Sin always has to be punished. If God is just, there will always be a punishment. And this is the thing: it might, the sin might not always come into your life. Oh, sorry, the punishment might not always come into your life for your own sin. But very, and we're going to see this example. It's going to be Nahab's children. They will face that punishment. They will face that wrath. Sin never goes but to repent, but to change my heart, change my action. Repentance is uh, refers to a change of mind that results in a change of action. And we notice that with Ahab, he first time I've ever seen that word humble with Ahab before. In the study, he humbled himself. Because Ahab repents, God lets Elijah know that he is going to show Ahab mercy. But judgment is still coming, as we already discussed. Let me say this tonight in closing. Let us not complain that the Lord judges our lives. But when he says that's enough, when it comes to our life of sin, when God says that's enough, let's accept that, our punishment with, uh, with grace. In other words, if you choose a life of sinful rebellion over a life of righteous obedience, Good. then do not be shocked when God judges you and brings the rod of chastisement down on your back. We know what Hebrews 12, 5 and 11 talks about. I'll read it for you real, real quick and then we'll close. And yet, for God in the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son, despise not thou the chastisement of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If he endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is uh, he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if he be without chastisement, Whereof uh, all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers and our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Uh, shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasten us uh, after their own pleasure, for he um, but for but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Verse 11, Now no ch uh, chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous nevertheless afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. God chastens his, oh, amen. He chastens his children. So if you are going to choose to live a life of rebellion against God, expect, right. if you are saved, Expect the chastisement of the Lord to be upon your life. Why? Because God loves you. Amen. Amen. And how can we display love without discipline? <clears throat> you know, uh, my parents didn't 
disciplined me or spanked me so much when I was growing up, uh, mostly because uh, I was stronger and bigger than them. I was born with a six-pack and my big arms and everything, so they didn't mess with me too much. But uh, no, it's more because of most of their health problems and weren't really physically able to actually spank me too much. I, I, I got my whoopings in once in a while. Uh, my mom, she was crazy with a large soul, I'll just say that much. Uh, man, I won't put those words in But um, the discipline that we give to our children is because we love them. Hey, I'm going to punish you over the wrong that you did because I'm going to love you and I'm going to teach you that what you are doing is wrong. If we do not discipline our children or the next generation, hey, they're going to be uh, dealt with by other people eventually. The law, the judges. They'll have to deal with your rebellious child. Or us in our own case. So, when we're living a life of rebellion, don't be surprised when God corrects us. We need that correction. And when it is finished, when that correction is done, hey, it, it brings forth fruit of righteousness in our lives. It helps us grow as children of the Lord. That's what we need in our lives. Amen. So when a chastisement comes, don't, don't be grievous about it, don't be upset about it, but accept it. Because, hey, we deserve that chastisement to be upon our lives. Amen. We did wrong, now it's time to face the music. All right, amen. Elijah's story is a remarkable one. We see so many different aspects of it. We see so many different uh, um, perspectives of what he has gone through, what he has done. His ups and his downs, his stills, his valleys, his, his mountaintop experiences and his low, low experiences. We see that all when it comes to Elijah. We see the opposition which he has faced. And I, I don't believe uh, Elijah has ever had in his heart true hate for Ahab. And that's also what we need to do with our leadership. I don't believe we need to hate our president. We can disagree. We can disagree. But I don't think we should hate our leadership. I don't think we should hate our governor. It's a rotten snake. I don't think we should hate him. We should pray for him. Amen. We should pray for our president. <clears throat> Only God can do that work for him. Only God can. Paul was so grievous, not close with this, Paul was so grievous of him knowing that his people will die and go to hell. He was so heavy hearted over that. He would even say, I would rather go to hell in exchange for them to go to heaven. He was, he was willing to change places. Let, let, let me go to hell. Let them go. He was so heartbroken that people that he knew would be in hell. He had a heart for souls. Man, we didn't have that same heart. Mm-hmm. Let's not be uh, uh, angry or bitter or hateful to our enemies. In fact, Jesus says, love your enemies. Amen. Love your enemies. In Alberta, uh, my my home province in Canada, in Alberta, today they, they boarded up a church because they would not stop having church. And they boarded it up. They put big, massive chain-length fences around it saying, uh, it's closed for worship. You guys can't come back and worship. 
It's done, sorry. Uh, the Canadian government puts a hammer down on this church. You will not worship. You will not break COVID protocols. But God told us that we need to love our enemies and pray for them. In that heat of the moment, yeah, oh yeah, we want to fight. We want to <coughs> do whatever we can. We might be very upset and angry, but love our enemies. Pray for our enemies. Pray for our leadership. This lesson, I mean, I think this lesson is very appropriate for today as well. Ahab, it doesn't get worse than him. It doesn't get worse than his wife. It does not get worse than them. They killed a man for a garden. Just think about that for a second. And Elijah was upset. He was frustrated. But when it came down to the end of the story, Ahab repented. Ahab understood I've been doing wrong for my entire life. <laughs> he understood his wrong. He understood his wrongdoings. He repented. He humbled himself before God. Now, before Elijah, before God, he humbled himself. And God put mercy upon Ahab's life, which is not deserved at all. And we all deserve hell. We can all agree that. We all deserve the judgment of God. But God is very rich in mercy. Very rich in mercy. Gives us so many opportunities, long suffering. It's such a blessing to have that, amen. Amen. So, with the application to this story, let's just pray for our leadership. Let's live faithfully for Christ. Later on, I believe the next uh, lesson that comes to Elijah will probably be the last lesson we'll talk about. We'll be closing the series uh, next week. And a lot of life lessons we can learn about this. A lot of courage that we can gain from this as well. How Elijah was very bold in the faith. Preaching and not being shy about his position for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us not grow weary. Let us not grow faint. Let us not be ashamed Amen. of the gospel of Christ. Amen. 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 Let's continue to live for him. Let's preach his word. Let's go on for the glory. Amen. Let's pray to man and be dismissed. Lord, I want to thank you so much, God. Brother, we do, Lord, I love you. And I thank you once again for this church. For the blessings that you're doing to this church, Lord. I thank you for well, the story that you allowed us to unravel and look through, Lord, and study. I thank you for the prophet Elijah and his testimony, his life, the journey that he had been on. Lord, how we can examine his opposition, how we can examine, Lord, all that he has gone through, but also how we can examine your grace upon his life, Lord, how you never gave up on him, Lord, how you never gave up on us. Thank you so much for your mercy, Lord. We do not deserve it. Thank you for it, Lord. We love you. Lord, help us in our life. Help us to live victoriously for your arm and for your glory. Lord, if you take all the glory and all the credit, it's all yours to take. We just want to serve you. We just want to be a vessel, Lord, and preach that glorious gospel to this community, Lord, to this world. Help us, Lord, as we meet as we meet.